This is the official HITS training and consulting podcast. We are America's law enforcement canine training resource. We're raising the training bar for police dogs everywhere by discussing the intricate details of the training techniques used by the experts. HITS radio is merging the training world with the real world. You've been there. We've been there too. Welcome to Hits Radio. I'm your host, Jeff Meyer. Today I have uh, another panel with me of trainers, m- many of them from our Western States Canine Association uh, Trainers Group. As I mentioned in the, the show last week, we have a, a group text from uh, pretty much all the trainers that go to, to Reno quite a bit and, and teach at the seminar every year. And we end up uh, having discussions and group discussions and throwing out training ideas. And uh, we got in a long discussion uh, yesterday over a topic and we decided it'd be a good one for a podcast. And uh, what one of the things that I really like is we can all sit around and discuss training ideas. Everybody on this call has a tremendous amount of experience. And, uh, you know, there's an adage that what the only thing that uh, two trainers can agree with is what the third trainer is doing wrong. And what I've found is that when you're with the right group of trainers, the trainers don't have to agree and they don't have to disagree. It can just be a discussion as to, you know, here's what works for me. It's worked really well for me. What works for you? Maybe I'll do it your way. Maybe I'll steal part of it. Or maybe I'll keep doing it my way and I'll just know how you do it in case I ever need it in the future. And that's been largely the experience uh, with most of the trainers. When you go to HITS, we have uh, a lot of time where at night we'll have a lot of social time. People sit around, drink a beer, discuss training. Very, very few times we see anybody in any kind of an argument. It's just a matter of just discussing different ways of training and stuff. That's one of the cool things about when you've been around for a little bit, training enough dogs, you're confident in your own abilities, and so much so you're more than happy to hear how somebody else trains their dogs and maybe you can learn something from them. So with that, I thought I would just get everybody on the phone tonight after we had traded a bunch of text messages yesterday. And the question that got brought up in a nutshell is should you use your explosive detection dog to also go out and search for guns and ammunition? And we had actually a more wide variety of answers than I expected when the the, uh, question first arose. So um, I think I'll start with Ron Cloward. We've got Ron Cloward on the phone. I also have Ken Pavlik. I have Vince Bingham, Tyler Clark, Bill Jones, and Cameron Ford all on tonight. So I think I'm going to start with Ron. And since you were on the call last week, Ron, and probably we'll go for everybody here that's on the call, if you can, uh, when we first talk, just give a quick uh, little synopsis about what you're up to right now. Everybody uh, on this has done podcasts with us before. So uh, your backgrounds will be uh, on our webpage. And then uh, basically, Ron, when you sent out the question yesterday, kind of can you just outline what the question was and what what kind of information you were looking for? Sure. Well, I uh, operate Top Dog Police Canine Training Consulting out of California. And, you know, over 35 years of doing this, my big thing is always to try to keep an open mind of what's going on and what people are doing. And so... I saw this request or advertisement come up about wanting to sell a dog uh, that's trained on both uh, explosives and guns and ammo. And it's something that I've always said, no way, it's not anything you should do. But I got to thinking, well, maybe I'm being closed-minded and maybe I need to float it out there to see if there's something that can be learned. Because even at 35 years of doing this stuff, 
if you quit learning, you probably should get out of the industry. So I'm, I'm kind of one of those trainers that keeps my mind open to new ideas and new things. And it's not my way or the highway. So I, I floated it out there. And I'm like you, the responses were like, oh my goodness, there's a lot of yeah. different opinions out there. And I thought, you know, it, it was a good subject to talk about. So let's start with your opinion. You said that over the years, you didn't like the idea. What uh, caused you to have that opinion? Well, kind of similar to what Vince had to say too, and I know he'll get his chance in a minute too, but we put two profiles on dogs on a regular basis, one being the patrol side and maybe the other dual purpose for uh, narcotics or guns and ammo. And we do that quite often here, doing a lot of guns and ammo dogs dual purpose. My big concern has always been, so I put explosives on a dog, I put guns and ammo on a dog, now I've got these two detection profiles, and I know people say, okay, well, you know, I get a different alert from one or different from the other. At the end of the day, they're a dog, and we get falses from dogs on a regular basis doing detection. So what if I get a dog that sits on a gun, but he's supposed to sit on an explosive, sure. and or he stands and stares, whatever the case may be, and uh, next thing I know, we're reaching into a console or under a seat, and next thing we know, we got our hand on a pipe bomb. So that's sure. always been my big thing about not doing it. So I'm very careful on how I do guns and ammo, but that's just kind of me in a nutshell, and that's the way I look at it. I'm pretty much stuck on the fact that one profile for detection, adding more profiles in detection, I think you're just getting yourself out there for an opportunity for something to fail. Okay, and I know a lot of these uh, questions will kind of get um, maybe brought up again with the trainer. So trying to get to, trying to be too redundant, but I want to pick your brain real quick. When you're training your gun dogs, because and and I'll tell I'll I'll get to my opinion, but but my opinion is I like uh, bomb dogs finding guns in a nutshell, and I'll kind of explain my reasoning. But when you're training your gun dog, are you proofing the dog off of powders or something? Because I would assume once a dog has kind of generalized a gun and he's getting a lot of the powders. Couldn't that same gun dog also be just as apt to find the pipe bomb under the seat? So, yes, in our training equipment room, there is a can of powder in there for loading powder for firearms. And it's something that we do put out for the dogs. I do a lot of primers. So I stay away from rounds that are have been in guns or you know, yeah. have the opportunity to be exposed to being fired and that kind of thing. In fact, I'm taking a fresh box of ammunition tomorrow to work the gun and ammo dogs that we have because I want them to work the more important components, I think, of the ammunition, uh, which is, you know, primers and stay away from the oils and the solvents sure. and all that stuff. When I first started this, I threw the oils and solvents in there and then I saw a problem with it. And I was like, I'm not doing that anymore. And so I went away from it. So we don't put any of that out anymore. What um, was the problem you saw with it? Well, I saw kind of the issues where um, it's an oil product and sure. you find them, you know, you get into a shop or a, a uh, auto shop or something and you got the dogs are interested in solvents yeah. and things like that. So, I mean, it's an issue. It's a concern. So staying away, staying away from that stuff, I think is very important. Sure. So I've just learned some things over the years doing it myself, you know, and, and we all know that we learn from our own mistakes. I think I learned from some of mine, and that's why I do it the way we do it now. I say I. I should say we. Sure. The way we do sure. it. 
you know, I've got a great staff and we all kind of work well together. So Sure. I think next, uh, let's jump over. Tyler, you jumped on the, the text chain right away with your pretty uh, strong opinion. Why don't you tell us what you think of this? Yeah, thanks again for having me. Absolutely. Um, yeah, I appreciate it. And one thing that I do want to put out there right off the bat is is why I like this group and why I like spending spending time with these trainers, especially the guys that are on this call specifically, is is that open-mindedness. I've always believed that there's there's more than one way to skin a cat, pardon the pun, but there is. And uh, I think for me, I got into the explosive dog training out of necessity at our department. Um, we needed to get a bomb dog online. I went through a lot of the FAA program, so I, there I just dated myself. A lot of the FAA program, a lot of stuff out of Lackland that in my initial training of explosive dogs. And then as time progressed, I did handle one of my previous dogs was a dual purpose patrol narcotics dog, which had article search in it. And I spent the majority of my time in article search, not specifically targeting any one article, type sure. of article. I basically worked off of freshest human scent in the area. And I had phenomenal success with locating guns that have been tossed out of cars by gangbangers or thrown out of a, off of a balcony into a field or things like that. Sure. And I had great success with that. So I never, I never saw the necessity to start being specific to the point of ammunition, gun oils, solvents, things like that. Yeah. Um, as I progressed in the explosive dog world, the time came where I started running into more and more people that were training and it was trained out of the simplicity of it. It started out very basic, trained on powders. So when they were trained on powders, then the dog could find guns and a lot of people were claiming it at the time. Oh, my dog can go out and find guns. The very first thing that I saw out of that whole issue was the liability of it. Because you're training that explosive dog for a specific task to find explosives. And that's it. And when you go into a building or you go into a, into a parking lot or an open area, whatever, you send that dog out on his search explosives that's what you're expecting them to find and you have a set a set group of things that you will do after that alert happens and you have to be very specific in the training that you do for the explosive dog and when i was selling it what i got into it originally was seeing people selling it as well you know we get this dog we can also go to schools and we can search for guns. And yeah. then everybody wanted to spend money and buy it. Yeah. So then it was easy to get it past the chief. It was easy to get it past the city council and, and all those, those areas. So that was my very first introduction to, hey, we're going to have bomb dogs searching for guns. The ATF had been doing it for years and, and saying it was very successful. And I would talk to the I would talk to the farm or the, the pharmacist, the, the scientists that were running the running the certifications and asking them, you know, well, what's the dog? What's the dog dog truly alerting on? What is he really searching for? And the answer at that time was always the powders, powders, yeah. powders, 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 powders. And I and I would ask them then I would say, how is the dog searching for powders if he's finding spent 
shell casings that have gone through a chemical reaction and and had a very significant chemical reaction that would probably use up 90 to 95 to 98 percent of of the powder yeah. that you're searching for yeah and they could they, and they really would start to get defensive and not be able to answer the question at that time and i'm going to say something right now that's probably going to not go well with a lot of handlers out there in the world but it's been my experience that when you start putting too much into the dog there's a lot of handlers out there that can't even get their patrol dog to out consistently and they can't even maintain that training and now if you're going to go into an explosive dog and you're going to teach that explosive dog to find explosives and then you're going to teach that explosive dog either to have a separate alert for something another odor or you're going to have them do the same alert for another order. I, I think you're just, that's just a recipe for disaster. Now, after our talk on Sunday, you know, I, I got a chance to, to read a lot of the comments and I too, just like everybody else on this call, I'm very open-minded to it. And I'm very interested in looking at some of these other, some of the other things yeah. that people have to offer. Sure. But again, I go back to, I go back to my thing with the explosives is that is a, a specific task that should remain either in the realm of a single purpose dog that searches for explosives because you got more than enough work to do sure. or a dual purpose dog that does patrol, but explosives on top of that. And you have to look at where are you spending the majority of your time yeah. when you're working that dual purpose dog? Are you doing way more patrol work? And not a lot of explosives work, or are you doing a lot of explosives work and not a lot of patrol work? Sure. And that's where I draw the line. I don't believe, I don't feel confident enough in, and another thing that's probably not going to be sit well with people, but I don't have the confidence in the whole society of, of explosive dog handlers that do multiple things to, for all of them to make sure that they're doing doing it the right way. Yeah, now, I, if, I know what you're saying. If you're going to dedicate yourself to a, a, a specific task, like the explosive side of it, then you want to be the best at that, period. Because when you go into a building and you do a search or you do a sweep for a protection detail or something like that, you're walking out of there and you're telling them, yeah. I've done the sweep, yep. my dog has not alerted, and you shouldn't be going back to your car crossing your fingers yeah, open. Exactly. Go right. Exactly. The other side of it is, like Ron said earlier, and I really lean on this one, I go into a school with my bomb dog and I say, oh, he can find guns and he can find ammunition. What is my dog, what is my dog doing when he's sitting in that locker? There's always going to be that question yeah. in the back of my mind. Is oh, he yeah. sitting because there's a pipe bomb in there? Yeah. Or is he sitting because there's a, a gun in there? Yeah. And I'm going to say pipe bomb all the time because a majority of, of solid bomb dog handlers train on the explosive that's closest okay. to their area. So uh, on you know, the same question I asked Ron then, you have a dynamite gun dog, you know, maybe patrol or a single purpose gun dog. He's in the school, he alerts. Do you not think that dog could alert on a pipe bomb also? I think it is going to have a lot to do with how, how you're training that dog. Are you training that dog on powders or are you training that dog on residue, gunshot residue, because there's a difference there. Sure. Are you training that dog to find, again, we go back to sol solvents or, or gun oils or those type of things 
it, it depends again on what your dog yeah. has been trained to do. But I will again qualify that with, yeah, there is a possibility that it could be a pipe bomb. Sure. And, sure. and you do have to qualify what you're doing with that school administrator. You get, I would tell them straight up, look, here's the deal. My dog, he, he alerts for the weapons or ammunition. There is a likelihood that maybe there is a 1% chance or a 2% yeah. chance or a 5% chance that you're going to open that yeah. locker and you're going to be seeing a piece of PVC pipe in there instead yeah. Yeah. or a metal pipe. So, yeah. you know, it's as long as, as long as the handler can articulate and, and knows, knows what they're talking about yeah. when they're doing it. That's, that's a big thing. Okay. So, I want to jump over now and I'll tell the listeners too that uh, I've got Cameron Ford on the line and Cameron is going to go over some uh, scientific data that he's been involved in a study. But I'm going to hold, uh, Cameron, I'm going to hold you to the end just to kind of recap and, and go over that. So if you're listening, uh, hang tight. We'll get to Cameron. Next on the line, I want to talk to uh, Vince Bingham. And Vince is also, he also uh, teaches a lot with us in, at Western States. He's been around for a long time. And he's out of uh, Arizona. So, Vince, can you just do a quick recap of, uh, you know, your background? Because I don't think we've had you on before. And then, um, you know, give your opinion on this subject. Uh, you bet, Jeff. Uh, I appreciate having me on. And uh, my my background is just uh, 30 years with Phoenix PD, 20 years uh, in the canine unit, and 14 years as a lead trainer, 17 dog teams. I run a consulting business for about the last 15 years, and I've been blessed and opportunity to run around with you guys in Reno and started with Ron a long time ago. But uh, my background is mainly patrol. So what's nice about that is I am not an EOD guy. I want to throw the disclaimer out there right now. I would have more questions on EOD than any answers. But because I have run a dual purpose dog and three dogs to fruition and training as many teams I've been fortunate enough to train, I am a big proponent of single purpose. Um, I echo a lot of things Tyler hit on already. I think that anything Jeff sets his mind to, he can run, if anybody can run a bomb dog and a gun detection dog, it would be Jeff. I think for me, on a more simplistic platform, I prefer single-purpose dogs. But that sometimes is a pipe dream. Sure. Uh, my last dog was dual-purpose narcotics. Uh, I've seen a lot of conflict and crossover um, profiles, if you will. Yeah. Some confusion in handlers and dogs when not trained properly. So I think if you can control the environment, you have a solid foundation in training and you have people that know what they're doing. I think I can see uh, going back and looking at our timeline yesterday and the cliff notes from Cameron's paper that you can successfully do that. I think particularly in the EOD a gun detection platform. I think you could do that and be okay if you're good. If you're good, would you agree? Uh, if I if I said to you, would you agree on on whether you're talking any type of dual purpose? Put two uh, disciplines on the dog. Would you agree that as long as the dog was well selected, do you think the onus is much more on the handler than it is on the the actual training regime or the dog? You know where I'm getting at is that you know especially like if you're going to talk about. Yeah, I know when I was a, a new patrol dog handler, I got I was fortunate I got to work a single purpose patrol dog and I had a blast. Had I been tasked with also doing with the same dog explosives or narcotics, I don't think I would have enjoyed that as much because the patrol dog stuff was the fun stuff and that's when we were getting our work. 
So I think I probably would not have been as good of a detection dog handler at that time of my career as I am now, both because, you know, through maturity and now I'm working a single purpose detection dog. So do you think that some of the conflict you're saying can be more put on the the person on the other end of the leash? Yeah, I, I absolutely agree with that. And fortunately, the, the, the group here has that experience. Not a lot of handlers do. So then it also falls on the training. And, sure. you know, it's always a three-way thing. It's a dog, the trainer, or the handler, or a combination of uh, any of those above to be successful. And that's, that's why I'm a single-purpose guy, because it always seems to be some wink link, not intentionally, subliminally, like you said, hey, don't like dope. Yeah. Like a patrol dog. But what I have seen in my career, even under the best circumstances, is an overlap in training profiles. Dogs will work for that reward, right? And if they're, if they're not in human odor, let's say I'm running a dog on a barricade and he comes across uh, three pounds of weed in the, in the toilet. Um, I, I intentionally set these overlap trainings up uh, with drugs around bad guys, uh, drugs sure. hidden uh, in my bad guy area because I'm running dual purpose dope dogs and I wanted the handlers more than the dogs um, to learn from it. To, that if you can't hear your dog and he's slightly out of sight and you, you think he's working something, he may be on dope. And if you have an aggressive yeah. alert dog, which you don't see a lot, he may be eating dope. So I have a problem with multitasking in some forms because I've seen dogs divert. Um, they're re- again, they're looking for the reward. So, hey, uh, I don't bad guy odor yet, but I smell weed over here yeah. or coke, and they divert. I've seen my dogs, my second dog, my second track, my second dog, first tracking dog, I was running an OIS track, and I don't know how long he had the gun in his mouth, Jeff. <laughs> I just, <laughs> just picked it up. He'd been running <laughs> in the dark. Yeah. <laughs> He'd picked up a gun on the track because I trained him to article search on a track. And yeah. I got away from that for that very reason because I needed to stay focused on the man. And sure. he uh, he was running. I don't know how long he had a gun in his mouth. <laughs> but uh, it's one of those things. I've, yeah. I've seen some conflict. But I think if you can control your environment and you know your dog, I think it's doable. Obviously, we're doing it. I mean, yeah. uh, I, I just think on the bomb side with the gun, for us, our guns are uh, more like article search is fine, like like Tyler said. Sure. So, okay. you know, this is the transfer of human oils yeah. to the gun. We're not, we're not looking for gunpowder residue. Yeah. We have very few in Arizona. There's a lot of guns in Arizona, as you know. We're allowed to have them here. Yeah. So most of our, if we have any gun dogs, they're in, they're in more of a probationary environment where we sure. go to probation searches. Sure. But, you know, that's just my two yeah. cents. I, I'd like to single purpose out. But, yeah, in competent hands. I think you can do it. Now, let me ask you this, uh, Cameron and, and Jeff and Ron and everybody. You guys, you know, the snippets, the cliff notes I took from Cameron last night. My gun searches are evidence recovery searches, and this happen to be guns. They're not, I'm not a dedicated gun dog guy. So my dog goes out and finds, if I give him the article search command, he goes out and finds and has a different alert from drugs or anything else. Sure. Um, and sit down as opposed to a sit or an aggressive scratch on dope. So he will go out and search for an article and down on it. It's all it's all human odor contact. You yeah. guys are training your your gun dogs, Jeff, for as the gun as a whole, right? You're not piecemealing it as far as gun oils, or are you guys doing the whole package? I think you know. I think uh, I'll kind of explain what I'm doing when we get through here a little bit because I'm actually working. You know, I work a bomb dog that can find guns, and then because of of that program, we end up and I, I work a second dog that finds that is not a bomb dog that is a gun dog and a currency dog. So I've trained him a little bit different. 
So I'll kind of get to that, you know, to answer that question in a minute. And then I think Cameron, when we get to him, he's got a lot of information about the science behind all of that. Before we go to Cameron, um, I want to jump over here. Ken Pavlik is on the line. Ken, um, you're training a lot of dogs. You're seeing a lot of dogs. You got a lot of customers coming. And you also, uh, you've been doing this since rocks were soft. So I know you have some opinions about the right way or the, the preferred way of doing it. So how do you feel about this topic? Well, I, I have an opinion, but I don't necessarily think it's the right way or it's just way that Your I opinion. have done. Yeah. yeah, my my opinion is any bomb dogs that I trained personally, I do not imprint on firearms at all. There is going to be crossover from a bomb dog to a gun. I've handled a bomb dog for a number of years, and I had one live find with a bomb dog on a vehicle, but it was a case of shotgun shells in the back seat. So I think you get crossover from a bomb dog that will find a large enough amount of smokeless powder for or a large quantity of ammo. If I, it can be done, but I, I kind of side with Vincent and Tyler with gun. I would trade that as article just for most recent human odor. Um, I gave you guys the example yesterday in our group chat of my game warden dogs in the South that are wildlife detection, tracking, and article search. And those guys recover a huge amount of guns, shotgun wads, shell casings on a regular basis, but yet they're searching cars and boats with hunters in them. And those dogs will not alert on guns and they don't alert on live ammo. So the converse is kind of true of what we're talking about. But I think, yeah, it can be done if you, you, you train enough. And Vince made a valid point, and so did you, about I find that handlers tend to have a discipline that they have, are more interested in. And so if you've got a multi-purpose dog, there's always going to be one discipline yeah. that's stronger than the other. Yeah. And that's the problem. And yeah, in a perfect world, if I had my choice, everybody would have a single-purpose dog or two single-purpose dogs. Sure. I've, just, I've, I've never had a process a crime scene for shell casings based off of... We would bring an article search dog for that and do an evidence recovery search. I wouldn't bring a bomb dog in for that. Okay. Can it be done? Sure, it can. And as you know, as to Tyler's point, and I'm not an ATF trained handler. I too went through the old FAA school a long time ago, and our dogs would we would never train guns, and we had some crossover with some dogs would find find dirty guns. Yeah. But then also got the ATF to address Tyler's point of if you're decomposing or we're causing a chemical reaction with the ammo, but those dogs are trained to do post blast, so they also find post blast. Yeah. Um, which is going to be residue of an explosive material, which to me would kind of fall into, yeah, they can find spent shell casings because of that. Sure. Did that answer your question? It does. <laughs> it does. Next, we got uh, Bill Jones. Bill, I know you uh, train a lot of dogs there with uh, Ron at Top Dog Training there. What are you seeing and, and how do you feel about it? Well, my opinion, especially if you're working an EOD dog, is that the importance of what he's searching for is so important that I would think that keeping it a single purpose dog or at least, at least a single purpose profile when it comes to odors is important. It just, that's in my opinion. Yeah. Now to get with some of the other guys talking about, I had, we had a dog in one of our agencies that they had a lot of shootings, high crime area. And what he did was they did a lot of article searching, right? And most of it was for guns, spent casings, et cetera. 
and he worked his dog. He was a he was a great handler. He wanted to make his dog as proficient as he was, so he put a lot of guns out. Yeah. Well, he got called for several, and this was a narcotics dog. He yeah. got called in for several search warrants, ran his dog through a sniff. He got alerts, and they were guns. Yeah. So I, I found that in time, did he imprint his dog on guns? It sounds like it. <laughs> right? Yeah. So it made me really think. It was like, wow. I mean, because, I mean, obviously, they search for a lot of them. And I was like, you inadvertently, I mean, because like you guys said, and Cameron, you can probably elaborate when it comes to the concentration of odor is oils and spent, you know, gunpowder and stuff like that. His dog just took to it. Sure. So it's like, well, when you have a detection dog, like I said, with an EOD background, do you want to put anything else on that dog? That's just the way, that's my opinion. Sure. I try to dumb it down. No. So, <laughs> yeah, no, I, I know you're, you're out training a lot of dogs. So, wanted to get you on with your opinion. So, um, Cameron, before we get to you and talk to you about science, I'm just going to throw out my opinion because we trade these text messages and I realize I'm kind of on the other side of the fence. So, for me, uh, my opinion is, is I like bomb dogs finding guns. Um, I, I've found that it's a, a pretty natural uh, thing when they're, they're imprinted on the powders then start putting uh, recently fired guns out. I have not had any issue with dogs learning the behavior and we're, you know, they're pretty solid on it. So I was fortunate enough that when I started the unit that I'm in now, I got uh, the opportunity in my department. I left patrol dogs and started a bomb dog unit for, uh, they had bomb dogs at the airport and they wanted some bomb dogs that would work the whole rest of the city. And uh, I was actually fortunate enough that I got to write the policy, pick the dogs, do the training, do everything. And finding guns was part of the program from the beginning. And I had talked to people in the metro area who had bomb dogs and they said they did it. But to be honest, I don't know how much they pushed it. So I trained quite a bit with my bomb dog and did you know good, good training with the, the traditional explosives and then put out a lot of recently fired guns and did a lot of that. I had some tremendous finds right off the bat with him on crime scenes for shell casings and for guns, which really, it was a nice validation for our unit, you know, because fortunately in our, our country, we don't find a lot of bombs, fortunately. So it was a way to, to, to have a new unit. We had two dog teams at the time. We started getting enough work with our homicide detectives, our shoot team detectives, neighboring agencies, calling us to use our bomb dogs to go find guns, and they were they'd be recently fired guns. Um, we had enough work for that that we actually expanded our unit for it. That was one of the the big drivers of it was was the call load we were getting on on finding guns. And I think one of the cool things here in my area is that. I think we've had enough success that now several agencies around us, the bomb dogs there, they're working them a lot more on the gun side. They're having very, very good success. And then I've seen, because we've found some guns, then I've seen several agencies that have either made dual purpose dogs, patrol, and then just gun dogs. In my own unit, after uh, we had enough success, I was able to, to convince my administration to let me work a second dog. So I have two Labradors, 
My second one is a gun dog slash currency dog. And we did, I wanted to do the currency, which we didn't have a currency dog around. And uh, I had a supervisor who said, you know, let's do guns also. So we do get the call sometimes that Johnny brought his dad's gun to school from the safe and it hasn't been fired in 10 years. Whether the bomb dogs would hit on those guns, we're not sure. So with my gun dog, we did do gun oils and solvents. So I'm not worried about him uh, confusing a a search as a bomb search, you know, and finding gun oil. Uh, So it's a contextual uh, thing. I use my gun slash currency dog a lot for um, federal warrants, go uh, out with the DEA, we look for bulk amounts of currency. We're not developing probable cause for him. Hit the probable cause already there. We're just using it as a search tool. And the DA never minds when I'm looking for money when I come across and find guns for him. So to the point of could I find, could I accidentally find a pipe bomb with my bomb dog, I could find it with my gun dog as well. He hits on powders. Um, we put out pipe bombs simulated pipe bombs basically for all for our bomb dogs and I ran the gun dog on it and yes he did indicate indicated just like if it was currency or money so could there be a danger there absolutely if I'm in the house and I'm looking for money uh, for the DA they're going to open up every drawer anyway so all maybe we'll do is slow things down a little bit before we get to it but going back to my my gun dog or my bomb dog what I have found, um, and I don't use him as much for gun searches now because I have a different dog for that, but with our other ones and the dogs that I train, the bomb dogs that I train around here, the searches are they're contextual. So when we have a bomb dog and we're doing a bomb sweep of the Pepsi Center, you know, could he alert to a gun in a trash can? Absolutely, he could do that. And if the bomb dog alerts and he's doing a bomb sweep and he hits on a trash can like at the Pepsi Center, we're going to shut that area down and we're going to call the bomb squad out or they'll be with us and they're going to handle it the way they would. So could it cause a problem? Yeah, I guess. But if we had never done that and someone threw a recently fired gun in that trash can, I think we're going to get the same hit. So for us, it's a contextual thing where the dogs are, are searching. The, the alert's the same, but we're kind of looking at what's the context that we're in. And uh, in the real world deal, we had a, in a neighboring agency, we had an officer that was ambushed and murdered in the afternoon, broad daylight. I walked up, murdered the officer. Then he got his ticket punched and they knew right away which vehicle was his. I happened to be in the metro area they called and, and I happened to be the closest dog there. So we did a quick search of the suspect's vehicle. My bomb dog hit on the vehicle immediately the bomb squad of that area went and handled it as a bomb hit. And it was um, the ammunition. He had a bunch of guns in the car. He was a nut job, had several guns in the car. Would any other bomb dog have hit on the car? I believe they would have based on the number of guns he had in there. The bomb squad didn't mind one bit. You know, it was, they, they handled it the same way. It was a, it was a solid hit. So that's just our, our experience has been, and that's why I wanted to kind of do this podcast, is ours has been a little bit different than what um, the other people are saying. We've had good luck with it. Uh, we advocated. I'm not seeing a lot of negatives. So because I kind of droned on real quick, again, before we have Cameron talk about the science, I want to go back and give everybody a, a quick opportunity just to you know counter any of the th- things I said. It's not uh, This isn't just my opinion here. So going back to Ron, uh, you got anything with what I've been talking about? No, I mean, this is exactly what, you know, I was looking for was, you know, is there 
something else I should be thinking about? Are there other things taking place out there that, you know, with other trainers and that type of thing? I'm still, I don't know, I guess I'm trying to dig myself out of the, uh, the trench of being stuck in my ways a little bit, but I'm still kind of stuck in the fact that if I want a gun dog, then as an administrator, I'm going to have a gun dog. If I want a bomb dog, I'm going to have a bomb dog. Sure. My chief at one time asked me to go out and research bomb dogs and having a bomb dog. So I did all the research and brought it back to the department, did a presentation, and the chief looked at me and said, I got to ask, why do we need a bomb dog? And I just like, are you serious? You had me go do all this, and now you ask me that. Yeah. <laughs> but when I look at it now and I look back, I'm thinking, okay, well, maybe if I had gone, done a gun dog research, he may have come back and said, now that I would go for. So sure. I wonder how much of this is administrative. The administrators say, well, we really like the gun aspect of it. So if our EOD dogs can go find guns and ammunition for us, I'm good with that too. I still go back to at the ultimate end of it all is is it good for the dog to have all these different profiles built into it i think if you do it correctly and you're proofing them off of powders and that type of thing i haven't seen any conflict with it yet but i will tell you that i'm going to test it with some of my dogs just to see if there's conflict and that may open my eyes as well so i mean this has been exactly what i was looking for was you know some open conversation between a bunch of people that have a lot of knowledge and and uh, I've really appreciated the conversations from everybody. Absolutely, Tyler. What do you think? Yeah, I, I agree with with Ron. <laughs> Quite honestly, I'm I'm kind of still. It's it's harder for me to to crawl out of that same yeah. trench. If it's if it's going to be a bomb dog, it's going to be a bomb dog. Sure. And if you're going to have a gun dog, then you're going to have a gun dog. And and I I want to go back to something that you said earlier about you know you were talking about having a bomb dog and a gun dog and the EOD team would treat it if you're on an explosive search as an explosive find even though they know and you know that the dog could be alerting on a handgun that's that's in the car and that was one of the biggest things that I stressed to a lot of handlers out there when they approached me at first talking about this was how many times are you going to call out the bomb squad on a bomb search because you found a box of 22 shells in somebody's desk you know, and that's a that's a point I'm going to throw out real quick for everybody is that I think that's probably one of those things where I say things are contextual is we're fortunate that we're part of our bomb squad and our bomb squad is extremely well equipped. So if I right. uh, if I if I tell our bomb squad, hey, this you know my dog just sat here on this trash can, they will literally have that thing X-rayed in 15 mm-hmm. minutes. So Good. we we are we're we're not going to have to wait three hours for a local bomb squad to drive across. You know, mountain pass for us. So, I think you know those are things that that people should consider. Yeah, definitely, and that's that's exactly where I was going with this whole thing. Is you need to you need to consider what your resources are in your specific areas, and and a lot of people get sucked into a lot of handlers get sucked into the whole. Well, you know, can your dog can find powders and your dog can find bombs? You think you can find a gun? Well, I don't know. I'll give it a shot, and then they go out and try it, and it happens, and then they're like, "Yay, it did it." And then, then all of a sudden, you've got a you've got a gun dog. Sure, but that's not what the dog was originally trained for. But just and, to be the devil's and, advocate, wouldn't you say that dog, if he had never done the search, he was still still had the same odors imprinted in him? Yeah, just because he, he was successful one day doesn't mean right. that you've changed anything in his 
Right, exactly. But what I'm where I'm going with that is is the human nature side of sure. it kicks in, just like we talk about in tactics, just like we talk about with taking the dog out. You know, if he's never done it before, the first time to do it's not on the street. Fair enough. Exactly. So so a lot of people get sucked into that. Yeah. And and quite honestly, was said earlier, I think Kenny Ken said it, was talking about the post blast dogs and that with the ATF. I think that it kind of morphed from, hey, we, we could do this in post-blast. We could do this with the OD. Hey, why don't we start trying to do this with guns? And then it started to morph yeah. into, yeah. look, we have gun dogs now. Sure. Um, I'm not saying it can't be done, and I, and I agree with everybody else. If you're disciplined as a handler, if you have the right foundational training, you have a sound dog picked and, and again, you go back to the discipline. Yep. You're disciplined to maintain the training and do things the right way, not half-assed. Then, yes, it can sure. be done. Would I want to do it? No, I yeah. wouldn't do it. Fair enough. Uh, Vince, you got anything else you want to add? So I'm going to do what I rarely do and in, in, in a point agree with everybody. I'm mainly in Tyler and Ron's <laughs> camp on this, but that's from, again, a whole different perspective. You use contextualization. I'm going to use environment. And like I said earlier, if you know your environment and you know your teams and you know that that window you're working in, it can be done. I mean, you're doing it, Jeff. So we know it can be done. For us, on a, in my realm, if you will, my area, the vast majority of our guns on the crime scenes as a patrol dog team, you're responding pretty promptly to calls sure. of service and crimes have just occurred. It's not that Pepsi or uh, stating yeah. or anything for us. It's It's fairly dynamic and yeah. the vast majority of weapons are recovered fairly quickly by the human component, the patrol officer witnesses. When we do find guns, it's all, it's all recent guns. So an article search dog is perfect for all our gun recoveries. The gun dogs in our state are typically, they could be a dual purpose patrol dog that finds guns is trained strictly on guns like Ron's doing, yeah. or they could be a single purpose dope dog or a currency dog like you have that that finds guns. That's their dedicated purpose. And they're doing probationary sweeps sure, sure. where an article searching dog's not practical, sure. obviously in that circumstances. So for us and for me in my world, I would probably separate them and be more confident in myself and my teams. If I worked your environment or an environment I had somewhat control over where it's not an issue, yeah. the issues I would run into here, uh, like if we have an airport thing or we have a outside chase ballpark or something and we shut everything down for four hours and bring robots out it better be an yeah. alert on a bomb yeah so uh yeah. and not a gun yeah but uh yeah so I, i'm in the, the single purpose camp just okay. to round it up but sure. i think in your it's again it's knowing your environment exactly yeah. what your and mission your is and your resources and your resources and your mission it's it's definitely doable yeah. uh kent you got anything else to add to this yeah a couple things what i would say is it's it can be done. Obviously, you're doing it, but you're not coming from a place that the average first-time handler of a bomb dog is coming from, Jeff. You've got a lot of experience with dogs. You've got 20 you train a boatload of dogs. Can you do it and be successful? Sure. Just like everybody else reiterated. But I, I find it interesting. How much guns and shell casings work do you do with your bomb dog now that you've got a gun dog? Well, I don't really do much with him anymore because I have a different dog. But the other dogs and the other the other bomb dogs in our area, we have a good group, a local group that we train together. And when we need it, we can do, go deploy a lot. So like I just got done training a few dogs for our state patrol. I've already called them out to help me on gun searches, and they are bomb dogs that 
find guns. So um, I think success breeds, you know, deployments. So the more we've had it, the you know, the better, the more, more guns we found, the better our deployments have come. Yeah, I think there's plenty of carryover that bomb dogs will find guns and they'll find ammo, but I've never trained them for it specifically. Yeah. Is it something I might do in the future? Maybe. I don't know. Sure. Um, sure. But yeah, I, I think where I am at right now, I'm going to stick with the article search for my bomb okay. dogs. There you go. Bill Jones, you got anything else to add? Well, yeah, I've got to agree with Vance is that a single purpose dog when it comes to an odor is the best thing, but it like can carry it on with you. You're an experienced handler. You know how to train and put the hours in. If you're doing a multi-profile discipline on your dogs when it comes to detection, you got to spend the time to do it. Either it's you or your trainer. And that's the hardest part. Yeah, that's fair enough. But I'll tell you, I have I have rookie handlers that are, are, are accomplishing it, in my opinion, quite well right now. So I guess I just want people to hear it. You know, no, I, and I understand it. It's just you got you got to have that drive. Yep, I'm gonna I'm gonna do it. Exactly. You know what exactly. I'm saying? Yep, exactly. So now, uh, Cameron Ford, I got you on the line, and you sent us all a, a big long study. It had no pictures, no cartoons, no anything, just a whole bunch of writing. But it was a good study. That uh, could you tell us? Uh, I'll get you on here and basically just give us you know the the nutshell version of, of where the study came from, how you got involved with it, and then we'll talk about. Well, you know, the methodology and, and what you guys found out. Yeah. So like, I mean, a ton of great information has been shared so far. Just many, many, many things I agree with on both sides of the equation. And like many of you guys brought up, we first have to look at that dog. What is this dog's genetics? You know, is this dog have a, the sound ability to make decisions? Obviously, Jeff, you've been through the cognition class. You see the value in understanding the dog from its beginning standpoint. You know, is this a memory dog? Is this an inference dog? And these play major roles in the learning aspect. So contextual learning is super important. And this is some things that we see as handlers that we just automatically assume it's related to an odor thing. And it's a lot of times related to a context. So people may have heard of Temple Grand. She's a autistic uh, dog trainer. And she did a really good example of dogs and learning. So, for example, if you were to show an autistic child a picture of a car and you said, this is a car. And then, you know, a day or two later, whatever it is, you show them a picture of a different car. It's still a car. But to them, that's not a car. The way they remembered it was that first picture you showed them, that was the car. So with dogs and learning, when we show them something, what they took contextually from it is a lot of times based in that picture type format. So when we're training a dog, like as you guys have all brought up, when we're training a bomb dog, they're taking in these things. And some dogs can generalize better than others. Some need to see lots of pictures of cars to realize, oh, okay, I got it. No matter how I look at this, this is a car. Sure. And, and like Jeff, some of the examples you gave for, like you said, you had your one dog, you put it out, the uh, the firearm or whatever was out there, and it automatically knew that was a gun. Could it also be the contextual aspect of, well, that was the thing out there set up similar as hides typically are? It's the main different salient odor out there. So in a generalization standpoint, oh, this is what I paid attention to. So these are things that we have to take in consideration when we're training dogs is understanding contextual learning and that sometimes the context of a search. So another example I give is 
okay, if you truly think your dog's on powder, just pour black powder on a plate and just leave it open on the table in a room. Just leave no hiding it. Just leave it on the table. You'll be surprised how many dogs walk right by it. Sure. And because the context in which they are frequently reinforced, there's reinforcement history related to how we conceal it, what we do. And a lot of dogs, when even though we think they're super sound on odor, you just put that odor loose in an area and the dog walks right by it because it's not put out in the same context. Even though the odor is right there on the table, they can sniff it. Many just won't alert to it. Not all, but many. Yeah. It happened to me personally. I was doing a search warrant back in the day, had a drug dog, walked into this house, walked right by a cookie of crack cocaine that was on the table. My dog kind of sniffed and moved on, and we were working our way to a room to go do a search. And the agent behind me goes, man, your dog didn't even alert to that crack, that, that, that cookie yeah. right there. And I was like, well, of course he's not. It's out in the open. Why would he order to it? And I was like, oh, crap. Why am my dog not you know, in my head? Sure. I'm like, what the hell is going on? Yeah. Consulted with my friend. We came to the same conclusion, which was without knowing at that time, we kind of went, you know what? I bet it's because we did. it's not hidden. We yeah. have the context in which we hidden. do stuff. Yep. Yeah. So a lot of things that we see when it comes to certain beliefs come from that, how that dog learns or that contextual learning. So moving forward with the the process of, okay, gun dog versus bomb dog, you guys have all pretty much hit the nail on the head. It's your it's your procedures. It's your general orders. What does it say? What are your resources? Can you handle this? How do you handle this? What is your action on find? So on and so forth. All of those things play a major role in how you go about making this successful, whether you do it one way or the other. So the main aspect of what we learned based on that study. So the study was called the development of profiling methods for contraband firearms, volatile odor signatures. What are the dogs smelling? No one had done a, a study on this. So Dr. Paula Tiedemann from Texas Tech University's forensic laboratory, her husband's a police officer. She's done a lot of great research for canines. No one had done one on firearms. So off we went a couple of years ago and, and went down this path. So short cliff note version is Compounds related to gunshot residue are basically the highest BOCs that are typically present, which makes it super easy for dogs to go. GSR is something that's very prevalent or salient, and with reinforcement, understand it very quickly. So whether GSR is on the gun, whether it's on a bullet, on a shell casing, this becomes the, the prominent co uh, compound that they're really focusing on. But as you guys have also said, it's important to understand that a firearm has its own unique mixture of odor, which is all those things you guys listed, the oils, the solvents, the metal of the gun, so on and so forth. So what made dogs spontaneously generalize best to firearms when it was trained for firearm detection was GSR. Now, just like Vince and agencies like LAPD and other ones, they train dogs to find firearms by the human odor connection. They're using it like an article. Sure. So many times they just like Michael Goosby, one of the biggest things that they do, like you said, with his dual per or their patrol dogs, is also go do runs for culture service on a gun that's been tossed in the area. And they do it based on a human scent, sure. not on the, the gun or the sure. parts and stuff like that. So in a nutshell, what we really learned was GSR was a very important aspect. We were even able to find or dogs were able to indicate to guns that were 100 years old because the GSR is like a very sticky chemical. It, it lasts in the substrate for extremely long periods of time, lands on the skin. I mean, we like Ron had a great conversation about what about bullets? Well, if you're at the range and you have your box of ammunition and you're firing, 
many bullets will get contaminated by the GSR. But if that box never, you know, right from the store, you know, and you're changing, you train the dogs on the yeah. ammunition, you're definitely going to retrain the dog on those mixtures of the lead, the the brass. These things had higher yeah. VOCs than, yeah. than, than, yeah, primer than the actual powders themselves. However, just like you guys have all brought up too, when you have a lot of ammunition, would you now have significant, significantly increased the powder smells? Yeah. Yeah. So the dogs that have uh, been exposed to that and can generalize well because you guys did a really good job of showing that dog all these different pictures of a car, it I can make a generalization much easier between one side to the other as far as what we're doing. So, with, like I said, without going into you know going super crazy sure. with all the different chemicals, that in a nutshell is is what it is. If you're going to train a dog on firearms, train on firearms. And, and then GSR is a main component in which your dog even, is looking for. Even if it's a bomb dog, though, is what you're saying. Yeah, even if it's a bomb dog, that's the that's the safest way because just like you like you brought up, powders many times equal explosives. GSR will many times equal main components of a firearm. Okay. And like you said, can you do it? Absolutely, you can. You know, should you do it is dependent on your resources, your mission objective, what your agency can support, and all the things that you guys have all brought up. Yeah. Oh, we got we have seven people on here. We have seven generally different opinions on that. So, but the science says it can be done, right? Yeah, and I would add there's a difference between security and law enforcement on this realm. You know, Absolutely. I'm in Las Vegas. Security sometimes likes to do this, and that's a cringeworthy aspect because they barely trust the bomb dogs when they alert anyway. Fair enough. What's yeah. going to happen when you've added firearms to this and you don't know just exactly to Tyler's point, everybody else's point, how do you know specifically? And casinos won't even stop operations when it's just a straight bomb dog, Yeah. let alone when you start sure. finding firearms you know, in yeah. this mix. And then they have no authority for action on fine many times. Many times. Sure. Yeah, so I think it kind of, it, it, I guess in a nutshell, um, we could all agree that it kind of depends on your agency So and, and your needs. You know, I mean, in a perfect world, every dog, I, I agree with, uh, I think Vince said, you know, in a perfect world, every dog would be a single-purpose dog. Every handler would be a perfect handler, and maybe maybe these handlers would have two or three dogs and, and nothing but time to train and then go deploy when needed. But I think also we, we don't live in a perfect world, and we have to kind of, get as much bang for our buck. And that was what, you know, when I was talking about our experience is that it's, uh, it's been very beneficial to our program to uh, also find guns for our bomb dogs. It's been very beneficial. Our, we have complete support from our uh, bomb sergeant who is a bomb tech himself and, you know, passionate about that end of it. We don't step on their toes and he's very supportive of what, you know, the way we do things. So it's worked out good for us. I'll add the fact you brought up how you've done well with your brand new handlers from the state police. And that goes back to the point that Tyler, Ron and Vince and everybody made Ken as well. That success is also related to you as their trainer. Well, you know, a lot of units don't have a significant level of depth of knowledge or experience from a trainer sometimes a trainer may be a handler who's been that way been a handler sure. for three years to five years and you know so there's a there's a relevance to the skill of that trainer or educator to the success of some of these things in sure. addition to the, the other yeah. things we mentioned fair enough but i guess if you're listening to this podcast and uh you have questions you're going to have contact info for seven people on here who are passionate about it so you can contact any of us so i guess my answer to that would be in this day and age, there are so many of us that have been fortunate enough to 
to put our hands on enough dogs and we're all uh, open to sharing uh, information. So if you're listening to this and you, and you have questions, come to HITS, uh, you know, meet trainers there, get on any of these podcasts, contact any of the, the guests we have on here, listen to the other podcast, get on the the social networks, uh, look at, you know, Facebook has a good page for trainers. That training's out there if you want to find it. It would be kind of my my point. I, you know, some of us have been lucky enough to do it for a long time, but we're, we're still happy to, to share it. And, you know, the final way I'm going to wrap this up is this conversation is has been what we would, if we were all having beers together, it, the conversation would have been exactly the same. No one's getting pissed off. No one is even remotely upset just simply a conversation about how we deploy dogs, how we train dogs, and we're all learning from each other. And I think uh, sometimes we don't see that. I think people want to argue and try and convince people about how they're right or wrong. But I think more often than not, like I said, at, at our at our seminar it hits, the evenings uh, we have lots of uh, social time. People sit around. You can learn probably more during the social hours than you do even for the class, just because everybody's sitting around. We're all passionate about it. So check out hitscanine.net. We'll be in uh, Orlando in August. We'll have lots of these kind of conversations, plus a whole lot more. So again, you guys, I appreciate you all jumping on tonight. It was a discussion we had all yesterday afternoon on text, and it was kind of fun to, to jump on here tonight and uh, kind of hash it out a little bit. If you're listening to this and uh, you know have questions for any of us, I'll put everybody's uh, contact information in the show notes. I think everybody would be happy to help anybody that's listening to this out. So, everybody, uh, thanks again and appreciate you jumping on. Thank you, Jeff. Thanks, Jeff. Thanks, Jeff. Appreciate thanks, it. Everybody. Thanks, everybody. Thanks, Jeff. Thanks, Jeff. Good night, gentlemen. Have a good one. Good night, you too.